Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's great to see you today. You are all so happy and friendly. Thank you for being so kind and loving to your neighbors. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Welcome to Victory Life Church this morning. Uh, my name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to wel welcome you to worship today. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you, and we'd love to get to know you more. Uh, the fact that you're here, it means so much to us. And if you could let us know that you're here by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you, and if you would be so kind to visit us afterwards at our Welcome Center, we have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning, but indeed, thank you. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com, and if you would be so kind so as to click on that banner that says, Are You New Here?, fill out the form that pops up on your screen, and I will connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for joining us as well. I have a few announcements for you this morning. The first is just a reminder, we are starting a class entitled Growth Track, which is a way for you to get connected and assimilated into our church. It's a way for you to grow in your faith. It's a way for you to serve here at Victory Life Church, and it's a way for you to make Victory Life Church your home. It's a four-part series. It starts next Sunday, February 4th at 9.30 a.m. If you'd like to sign up for that class, we invite you to do so. You can go to our website, and you can sign up at vlchurch.com. Click on that banner, or you could just communicate with us this morning. Take one of those communication cards and drop it up at the Welcome Center and we'll get you registered for that class indeed, but thanks. Uh, the next announcement that I have for you this morning is about our youth, our Christ in Youth Conference, also known as CIY. Do I have any youth in here right now that went to CIY last year? Give an ovation for CIY. I'm not communicating clearly. i got to do this all over again. The youth, those of you that went to CIY, can I have some hooting and hollering for how awesome it was? This is my fault. This is my fault. I need to kind of prep you guys next time. But nicely done, um, one of you out of the five of you that are representing this morning. But nonetheless, Christ in Youth is phenomenal. It's one of the best youth conferences in the country. Of course, I'm very biased. I've been to it before. These youth have, and it's life-changing. And so if you have a youth or if you are a youth and you're remotely interested in going Stop by the youth table, that is the youth Honduras table, and see Pastor Peter afterwards and get signed up for CIY. I'm told that if you get signed up by next Sunday, you get a free CIY t-shirt. And so get signed up, and I think early registration, the early registration fee is $65. So uh, it's going to be a great experience and a life-changing uh, one for sure. Uh, the next announcement I have this morning is also related to our youth ministry. It's buzzing for sure. We're going to have a youth auction here in the, in the uh, future. And we're asking you, our congregation, if you have any items that you'd like to give away to our youth auction uh, and, and donate them. Um, it can be things like sports tickets, uh, you know, gift cards to a restaurant. If you own like a condo unit, you want to give away a weekend or a week, if that's you, you could do that. We'll auction that off or anything else. Um, uh, see Pastor Peter at our Youth Honduras table afterwards and let him know that you'd like to make a donation for our youth auction that's upcoming. Last but not least, you received a gift on your way in this morning. It included some popcorn uh, with a QR code that leads to our Right Now Media subscription. It's a gift to you uh, for making Victory Life Church your home or having it as your church home. 
Um, right now, media allows you, as a member here, as a regular attender here, I should say, free access to 25,000-plus Bible study videos anytime, anywhere, from any device. That's pretty cool. So we have a video that we want to show you. It'll give you a little bit more information. Take a look. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Right now, media, you have access to that with that QR code that is on your popcorn there. And if you have any issues accessing right now, media, call the church office and don't ask for me. Ask her, Stephanie. She'll help you get connected to that. She's pretty tech savvy. But nonetheless, we're really excited about that uh, for sure. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. Uh, if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, uh, you can do that by giving online. You can give via text or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes today. I can ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer and get our hearts ready for worship. Father God, <clears throat> I'm prompted to just um, call upon you and communicate with you the way Jesus told us to when he said, Pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come here at Victory Life Church on earth as it is in heaven. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to call upon the name of the Lord. He is Jehovah, our God.
that we were singing this morning and I think about when Jesus said before Abraham was I am that is Yahweh Jehovah God Jesus is the one we were singing to this morning when we said Jehovah Nisi fights our battles Jehovah Rapha he is our healer Jehovah Jireh our provider and Jehovah Shalom our peace that's Jesus that we're singing about we were singing about who he is and what he does beautiful and then we sang him about him being our help right now in this present time so he was he is our help our ever-present help in time of need says the bible but he is also the one who is to come because he was slain before the foundations of the earth it says in first peter predestined to come to this earth and die for you and me and raise again and be exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father and he will return and he will come back for you and me and we will be with him forevermore. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he who was and is to come. Let's declare his praises today in this place.
flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder. your name is power breath the living water for a word of prayer together. Father God, what a privilege to come into this place and lift our voices unto you. You who sent your one and only son to become a perfect sacrifice 
for the sins of humanity. In fact, John put it this way, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Each and all of us come this morning with shortcomings, mistakes, flaws. Our lives often are indeed defined by our sin. But because of what you chose to do by putting on flesh and bone, you came and sacrificed yourself so that we could be reconnected to you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the Lamb of God that took away our sin. We thank you in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, and you may be seated. Well, this morning, we're going to move into a time of communion together. And I'd like to ask my communion servers to come forward as we prepare our hearts and minds to reflect upon the Lamb of God who came uh, to take away our sin so that nothing would come between us and God. Uh, we indeed celebrate communion to remember the lengths to which God was willing to go to express his unmatched love to you and to me. I love how Paul puts this in the form of a question and then answers his own question in the book of Romans. He says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And later on in Romans 8, 38 and following, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord and can I get an amen for that? So if I asked you the question that Paul posed in Romans, what can separate you from Christ's love? Well, I think we should let Paul answer that question. I think he's worthy of answering it. And the answer is this, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so I ask you this morning, do you have something that separates you and God today? If so, may I encourage you to take that something and remind yourself about a most important word, a word that comes from God's word, and it's this, nothing, nothing. And so today, as you come to receive the communion elements, may I encourage you to thank God for doing what he did to remove the something that separated you from him as he made it nothing. I love how Paul puts what God did through Jesus in the book of Colossians when he says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. You see, that is how God took your something.
and made it nothing. So as you come to receive your communion elements this morning, we'll have, I believe, two sections. We'll have a front section and a middle section. And you will come and receive your elements starting at the front rows in the first section and the front rows in the back section. And you'll come from the inside and then circle back around the outside. For those of you who are not physically able to come receive your elements this morning, just raise a hand and one of our servers will come and bring uh, the communion pieces to you um, at your convenience. You may come and receive the communion elements right now.
So you have received a small piece of bread. This is what we will take together to remind ourselves once again that Jesus gave his body so that nothing would separate you from him. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, take this and remember what I did for you. Let's take the bread together. After Jesus and his disciples took that piece of bread, he again held up a cup and said, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Can we take the juice together? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for coming into this world and showing us who you are. For your story, which defines who you are, is indeed defined by the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. He was given so that we could have peace with you, so that we could be brought near to you. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for giving of yourself so that we didn't have to give ourselves. And we know that it was your love that made you do this, and it was your love that indeed enabled us to understand what all of this means. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, verse 4, when he said, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he chose to make us alive together in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love because you took the first step to remove that something that was between us and you. You gave everything so that nothing would separate us from you and your love. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' precious name, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church, and thank you, worship team. It's always a gift to remember the lengths to which the Lord Jesus would go to reconnect us to him. Um, it's also a gift this morning because we get to hear from our missions director, uh, Bill Anderson. So would you help me in giving a clap to Mr. Bill? Bill, come on up. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Bill Anderson, and I am the missions director. I'm also one of the newer elders, and I have had the opportunity to take Matt's preaching and teaching class, and I'm excited and humbled to look at the words of Jesus this morning. I have always tried to tithe. Now, I say tried because sometimes I haven't been 100% successful in that endeavor, even though it's always been my intent, I've always known that tithing was part of being 
a fully formed disciple even before our staff started talking about being a fully formed disciple. There is more in this book, the Bible, about money, stewardship, and wealth than any of the other topics that we've talked about in being a fully formed disciple. Do you know that? There are, there is something about money and finances in every single book of the Bible. There is more about money than it talks about heaven or hell or prayer or worship. It talks more about finances than any of those. And according to the Google, there are about 1,441 verses just in the New Testament about wealth and finances. So obviously, it must be important in becoming a fully formed disciple, and that is what we will be talking about over the next few weeks. I'll be talking today. Pastor Matt will be bringing the message in the next couple of weeks. But um, I would argue that this topic is the hardest one of any of the other fully formed disciple topics that we're going to discuss. It is for me, at least. Giving God access to this is the most difficult part for me of being a fully formed disciple. If you are trying to become a fully formed disciple and we don't give our finances, then we are kind of like an 80% formed disciple. Now, I'm going to illustrate this um, with uh, the dismay of my children, and my wife will be here for second service. But if you are a fully formed disciple, you are like a disciple that has little tiny hands. There, that's better. So, you know, you look at me, and I look fully formed, maybe a little too fully formed, but I look fully formed, right? I look good. But, you know, Matt, you come up here, and you shake my hand, and, you know, you reach out, and I go like this, right? And you, you shake my hand, right? And then I know Pastor Matt very well, and I know what he does is he will go home to Gina and say, I shook Bill Anderson's hand today, and he has little plastic hands. The fingers don't move. He actually looks like he bought them from Five Below or something. Right now, if I have little plastic hands, I can do a lot of things. I can worship, right? I can even raise my hands and worship, right? I can worship. I could witness. I could even preach, right? I could, if we had a walkathon to raise money, I could do that as well. But there are some things that I can't do, okay? Um, AJ, if you had these hands, I don't think you would be up here playing guitar, would you? Probably not well, right? And, you know, it'd be hard for me to pick up my Bible. It would even be hard for me to turn the pages, right, in my Bible. That's what we are like if we are a disciple that doesn't give over our finances to God. We are not fully formed. Is that the type of fully formed disciple we want to be? No. We want to be fully formed. The only way to do that is to be willing to offer up our whole self to God 
including our finances. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant theology, Protestant church, he said it this way, the Christian conversion happens in three steps, your head, your heart, and then your pocketbook. So we understand the head, right? Knowing is knowledge, and we understand Christ's crucifixion, and we understand the heart for sure. But some of us never get to that third step, which is the pocketbook. We never get to that third step of true conversion. So we're going to look at a passage in Luke this morning, Luke 16, 1 through 13. The Bible has many stories about being good stewards, and this is one where he was a bad steward. So we'll read this. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we have this parable of a bad manager, right? He's so bad that he's going to get sacked, right? They're going to get rid of him. And firing to this man meant a lot. So he was, taking, he was taking care of the finances of the owner, and not only that, but taking care of probably the whole household. He lived with the owner, took care of the servants, food that was being brought in, just managed everything. And losing this position meant getting kicked out of the house, so losing his house, it meant self-esteem, it meant his reputation, social status, and also loss of income, right? It's very important. So these aren't great options, he says to himself, because I have to dig and I'm not able to really do manual labor, and if that doesn't work out, I'd actually have to become a beggar. So he says, I know what I'll do. I got an idea. I will help the customers or debtors, and then when I get fired, they will help me with at least maybe giving me a place to stay, right? And maybe down the road, they might even hire me. What he does is he changes from being a manager 
or steward of the finances to thinking he's the owner, right? He begins to act as an owner. He begins to make deals as the owner. Was he the owner? No. Should he have been discounting the owner's receivables? No. He should have been acting as a steward and acting on the desires of the owner, not his own preservation, which is what he actually does. To become a fully formed disciple, we have to change our thinking from an owner of our finances to a manager or steward of our finances. In doing this, we have to understand our money is only there to do the will of the owner. We're just stewards. Our money should not be our own. It is designed for a purpose. What is that purpose? We'll get to that here in just a minute. So the owner comes in, and he is so he's probably not really surprised at what the guy's been doing because he's probably heard it through the grapevine that this guy is making these deals. And he calls him shrewd, which is interesting because shrewd is, and actually Jesus uses it twice in two consecutive verses here. Shrewd can be a bad thing. In this verses, it's a negative connotation. He's shrewd because he did something that was wrong. But shrewd can also be looked at as a good thing, right? Somebody can be a shrewd businessman and do things above board, right? And he makes a lot of money, and we might say he's a shrewd businessman. So we'll look at that word a little bit later here. He finishes the story, the parable, and then he begins to tell us what the parable means. So Jesus is, it says at the beginning, he's talking to his disciples, right? But this is later on in Jesus' ministry, so there are people around, right? All, every time he begins to speak, these people are following him around. And then there's these Pharisees. At the end, it says he speaks to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are there as well. I don't know why the Pharisees are there. They're there all the time when Jesus is talking. I think they probably have better things to do than follow around Jesus. But I think maybe the high priest probably said to a couple Pharisees, hey, listen, this guy, I don't, we don't know about him. We need to find out. Follow him around. Just be our spy. Follow him around and just report back to us of what he says. So the Pharisees are there as well. So he begins to talk about what the parable means, and he does that in verse 8. So let's look at that. The master commended, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 9. I tell you, oh, yeah, sorry, it is 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. See, this, these verses are a contrast of how the world uses their money and how we should use our money as Christians. The people of the world are going to use their wealth like you would expect for themselves. But as children of the light, which is what the next verse says, we should be distinct and different. We should... We are in the world, but not of the world, right? So the manager was only thinking about himself. That's all he was thinking about, his self-preservation, saving his own skin, so he starts to make these deals. He was 
thinking about securing his place here on earth, right? No thought of anything beyond. But as Christians, we shouldn't think that way. And let's look at verse 9. And it tells us how we should. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I, I did a lot of looking into this verse because it's, it's very different and a lot of commentaries and things. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Use your earthly possessions to influence people so that you can tell them about the Lord. So that they can get to heaven just like you. Use your, so, and I think about practical ways to do that, right? You have a neighbor that's struggling, and you say, listen, I'm going to pay for that. You know, I saw you had a plumber over here. How much was it? I'm just going to pay for it. Or, you know, I heard your refrigerator broke. I'm just going to pay for it. See, that way we can actually get an opportunity to talk to them about the Lord, right? Which is what we should be using our wealth for is to influence and bring people to the Lord. But we get this contrast between how the world looks at money and how we look at money. The world looks at money for self-preservation for today, but we need to look at money as what it can do for the kingdom of God. But we get so conditioned by how the world uses their money that we start to imitate them, don't we? We start to imitate the world. And it's very easy to do. I do it. You just get so entrenched in this American culture. When we go on missions trips uh, to Mexico, you see how they live, see how the Christians live, the poverty there, and it convicts you, which is good. That's what it's supposed to do when you go on these mission trips. It should. If it doesn't convict you, there's an issue there. But it convicts you. And you just try and think, okay, what are my priorities? What should be my priorities? Um, last week, I think, Pastor Matt talked a little bit about the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Wonderful that we're two weeks in a row talking about this. Um, but we, you know, you know, you get so far away, but this guy is still sort of connected, but really not all that connected, and that's kind of how we get, when we talk about finances with the Bible, we, this American culture gets us so far up away from the Bible that when we read the verses that are coming up, we think that is weird and that is not for us today. That's how far away we get from how the Word of God talks about finances. We say... Jesus didn't have a house payment. Of course, Jesus probably didn't have a house, right? But Jesus didn't have a car payment. Jesus didn't need a 401k. Jesus need, didn't need to worry about where he was going, you know, in assisted living someday. So let's look at these verses, how Jesus looks at money versus how we have started to look at money. And I, verse 10, I'm going to paraphrase this. If you have a little and can be a good steward, 
then you can be a good steward with a lot. If you are a bad steward with a little, you will be a bad steward with a lot. There are people that think, if I just had 5,000 more a year, 10,000 more a year, 20,000 more a year, I would tithe. If I could make 50,000 a year, I would tithe. If I made $100,000 a year, God, I would be the most joyful tither in the world. But Jesus says, these are his words, he says that is a lie. If you can't tithe off of working at Starbucks, unless God changes your heart, you will not tithe when you make $100,000 a year. You will never have enough because your heart is not in the right place. You will always find other priorities with your finances. Let's go on to verse 11. If you are not trustworthy with worldly wealth, you won't be trustworthy with true riches. What are true riches? True riches are spiritual wealth, aren't they? That's really what true riches are. How we use our worldly wealth has a direct connection to our spiritual wealth. Do you believe that? If your heart is not right with your finances, your heart won't be right. It can't be right with God. How strong our relationship is with God. You can't expect to be a fully formed disciple unless you are a good steward with your worldly wealth. This is what he is saying. If I can't trust you with your worldly wealth, then I can't really use you to do great things for me. If you can't be trusted with your worldly wealth, then I can't use you because you have little plastic hands and you're limited. You're limited on what you can do if you haven't given over your finances. The way you use your money and how much God can use you are connected. Because, and we'll go to verse 13, and now this gets really uncomfortable. No servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God, the money God is never satisfied. You know that? Just keeps wanting more and more. You have to love the one and hate the other. And later on, he says, what the world values, God finds detestable. Wealth is not neutral. Okay? It's not something that you just go, well, you know, it's just money, you know. I, I don't know. I'd use it for whatever. It's not neutral. It's almost like we live our life and think, Man, I wish I had like a manual that told me how to, you know, use my money. That's how I, I wish there was some, some book out there that would tell me how to use my money. We are either being owners and doing our own thing with God's wealth, like the manager in the story who used it for bad, or we are children of the light using our finances to give and bring people into the kingdom. So how do we look at this practically? And this is what I learned to do. And I'm going to give you three things that I think. As a fully formed disciple, you need to be living below your means. It is very difficult to tithe, let alone give generously to other parts of God's work 
if we are living beyond our means. Americans, man, we love to live beyond our means, don't we? You look at statistics and, wow, it's, it's sad when you look at the statistics of that. Ever wonder what goes undone in the kingdom because of our selfishness, because of our want of things? And going back to that word shrewdly, I would say that as Christians, we should be shrewd with our money in a good way, okay? We need to handle our money shrewdly in a good way so we can give our tithe and give generously so we have the money when we see a need that will further the kingdom of God with missions and ministry in the church, people that we can help. And I wrote down, and people that know me are going to laugh at this, but be frugal for God. Can we get a banner next week, Matt, that says be frugal for God? So that you have the ability to give when the opportunity comes, right? That's what we want. We want to be able to see somebody that needs a refrigerator and not have to go, shoot, I just bought that new car. I don't have any money. But just go, you know what? Here's $500. Go buy yourself a refrigerator. Number two, God... Give God 10% no matter what state financially you are in, right? That's what the word is telling us. If you make a little, give 10%. If you make a lot, give 10%. Malachi 3.8, how do we rob from God? By not giving our tithes. We rob from God by not giving our tithes. That's what the Bible says. R.G. Letourneau is a... Man, there's a college named after him down in Texas, and he made big earth movers during World War II, made a lot of money. They still make large earth movers. And he said this, it is not how much of my money should I give to God, but how much of God's money should I keep for myself, right? Not how much of my money should I give to God, but it's just a different way of thinking of how much of God's money should I keep for myself. There was a man that uh, his pastor was telling him, you need to tithe, you need to tithe, you need to tithe. And he just never did it, right? This was back, back in the old days when pastors really hit people with tithing, right? We don't do that as much anymore. But pastor kept getting on him and he got tired of it. And he finally says to the pastor, listen, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make you a deal. And then after this, we'll just stop talking about it. I will throw all my money up in the air. And whatever God thinks he needs, he can grab, and the rest will be mine. That's how some of us think about tithing. Like God would actually need to come down and pull it out of our hands to get it. And then third, if you are tithing, then give generously above your tithe to God's work. Look for people that, need your help financially, meet their needs, support a missionary, support our short-term team generously. Psalm 116.12 says, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? God has been so good to all of us. I know there are times when you feel like maybe that's not true, but believe me, God has blessed us. So give generously. So in closing, I want to look at two verses, uh, verse 14 and 15. And uh, 
14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. You are the ones that justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. Justify is such a great word that they use here. Man, I love it. I can justify just about anything. Ask my wife. I can justify parking in the wrong spot. I can justify the way I drive. I can justify why I didn't put the dishes away. I mean, I can, I've got all kinds of, you know, I'm good at that. And we can justify, rationalize, or defend about any action with our finances, can't we? Man, it's easy to do, especially in our finances. I don't need to tithe. God doesn't need my money. The church is doing fine without my tithe. I volunteer. That's my tithe. Let someone else give to that missionary. They look like they're living better than I do. I've actually heard that four or five times. I deserve a new car. My neighbor just got a new car, and they make way less than we do. We are justifying being an owner of our finances instead of just God's steward. And the Bible says we are sneering at Jesus. The Pharisees who loved money, so if we love money, we're basically sneering at Jesus and his words, aren't we? I mean, believe me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. We never connect our spiritual growth with turning over our finances. We never think about our finances being an obstacle to being a fully formed disciple. Once you give up your finances, then you can get rid of the little plastic hands and start doing great things for God, greater things than you're doing now. Luke 12, 33, this is our last verse here says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When it is important for us to have treasure in heaven instead of here on earth, that is when we truly become a fully formed disciple. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, help us to have your desires and not ours. Help us to look at our finances the way you would look at them. Help us to be stewards, not owners of our finances. Let us not be like the Pharisees that basically sneered at Jesus because he talked about how they were handling their money. Use your Holy Spirit to allow us to be convicted this morning, Lord, and if we're not using our finances exactly the way you want, if we're not being good stewards and we're being an owner of our own finances, Lord, just help us have your Holy Spirit speak to us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's difficult sometimes, but thank you 
that we can get together and actually um, listen to the word together and learn from each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Nobody else is coming up, right? <laughs> Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know what? Should we? crowd